0: Hello and welcome to Seller's Lounge. I'm your host, Pritha Dube, an international sales trainer and founder of Success Vitamin, where we help organizations create sales superstars by combining the science of selling and the emotional intelligence. On this podcast, I sit across global sales experts to find answers to some of the most pressing revenue growth questions that are on the minds of business heads, CROs, and the startup founders today. We are spotting the top trends and tools that are disrupting the landscape of sales. Ready to graduate from Sales 101 to Sales 1001? Stick around because class is officially in session. Jump right in. Before we dive into today's episode, a loud shout out. So today's episode sponsor, SalesTable. SalesTable is a sales readiness platform for growing teams. You can learn more about them inside this episode, but before that, let's hear it from our guest today. Hello, hello, hello everyone and welcome to this episode again and our special guest today is Marcus Couch and I'm straight away jumping into introducing him because he doesn't need an introduction first of all. Everyone who is a sales enthusiast and who's been following everything related to sales probably knows who Marcus Couchy is. And when any ambitious sales organization, they want personalized coaching that ignites full potential already within each seller, they turn to Marcus to find and amplify their authentic sales voice. So, Marcus, thank you so much and welcome to this podcast.
1: Great, thank you so much for having me. It's a delight.
0: Thank you and since marcus is here so i would believe i would i would think that all the audience here are not expecting some run of the mill kind of a discussion that's going to happen anyone who's been following marcus you probably already know that this time the discussion would be such that you may find yourself standing in front of a mirror You may find yourself asking a lot of uh, in-depth introspective questions. These are all good. Nothing to be afraid of. These are all good. You should be doing all these things. So, Marcus, let us first start with a very simple question, something because the world is changing. The world of sales has changed a lot. Let's start with one simple thing first. What are those traditional sales practices that people are still continuing? And you would say that they are harmful and they should just stop. and, And why are they harmful?
1: The first thing is we we need to think as our customer instead of about what we can do or get from our customer. Buyers hate being sold; they love to buy, and our job is to facilitate buying. It's not to sell them. This is the problem with having the job title sales and sales manager and be, you know being in uh, someone who's involved in selling. Um, we we think that. Our job is to try and convince. I I want you to reflect yourself. Have you ever really been convinced by somebody else? Or have they managed to tap into the narrative, the story, those desires that they already found innately within you? And then you convinced yourself because you then found the evidence that you wanted to justify the emotional decision. Well, You and your buyers are identical, and the net result of this is that if you are using methodologies that were developed before the year 2000, you are using methodologies that were based largely on Taylor and Bernays, and uh, these were about manipulation, about coercion, about control, about mind control, about what was his name uh, jp barnum was the guy who came up with you know there's a sucker born every minute well he was the person who came up with one of most sales and i've got to hold my hand up i love a negative reverse a, a negative reverse cell was invented by jp barnum and d- d- followed very closely by there's a sucker born every minute well that gives you an indication of where these people were coming from, their intent. And almost every piece of sales behavior that we inculcate, that we put into playbooks, that we institutionalize and habitualize is self-serving. And let's start with Bant. Name me a single instance where asking a Bant-style question advances the customer towards either understanding and diagnosing their problem at its cause or helping them to work with you to co-develop a sustainable solution that is right for both now and the future for them because your sale is a symptom of doing that well consistently and sometimes you have to help people along the way and they're not going to buy but let's do the mathematics. We want to look at the traditional. Let's look at some traditional negative, unintended consequences that are a direct result of senior management and leadership making a bad decision that then creates at least three bad decisions in a row. And that is one of the single biggest causes of company failure. It's also And I only have this anecdotally, but it's also one of the single biggest causes of leaders, managers, and salespeople's failure in role. Three bad decisions in a row. Okay, so let's take the ripple effect. I decide as the private equity firm that I want to scale the business and we want to do triple, triple, double, double, double. Yay. And I, as the founder, um, then buy into this unicorn story, and I think that I have to take your money to do it. So I take your money, and all of a sudden, my business that the job to be done was to serve a certain set of customers to solve a certain set of problems in a unique and ideally competitive way. doesn't have to be cheaper can be competitive in any hundreds of thousands of different ways, depending on what matters to the customer. But that value has to be personal to that organization and to the individuals within it. Um, Our goal has to be to create deals where both sides or all parties involved would sign up to the same terms instantly a hundred times in a row without hesitation. Now that's a win-win. Anything less than that is trouble waiting to happen. You're buying a problem. Now, let's look at this ripple effect. So my private equity comes in and shifts my job to be done from serving the customer and creating a brilliant, sustainable place to work that people love to come to, give massive discretionary effort, be highly engaged and creative, to now serving the valuation number. So all of a sudden, my fixation is on the quarterly valuation target. And in order to drive that, the very clever financial brains tell me what I should do is spend 40% of all the money, because that's how much of private equity's money over the last 14 years has gone into Google, Facebook, and Amazon's pocket. In 2017, that was worth uh, $265 billion a year, just for the ones that got one click, just one click from the internet campaign on the ad. Okay. That has now risen to 800 million this year, a billion, sorry, my mistake. And so that 3% of those will convert into cash, okay? And this is the business model that the financial geniuses at private equity are espousing. But wait for the brilliance, because what happens now is if I am a top-notch marketing department, I will run campaigns and I will get a 3% click-through rate. And a 15% conversion rate. Well, if it was my money, what I really want is revenue. I don't really care about click throughs. I really care about the cash in the bank because I can spend that. I cannot spend a click. Okay. I can lose money on a click, but I cannot spend it again elsewhere. So it's a bad investment, a click. A good investment is when it turns to cash because that's the job to be done of the advert. So, 3% times 15% is 0.0045% success. That means 99.9955% failure rate. And cold calling is not much better. There are ways to make it substantially better, but most of you are doing it manually off crappy lists, cold and trying to do it in the short term, which is why you have a 3% conversion rate which means 97% of all your sales activity is then wasted. But is it any wonder? Because of the 99.9955% that were wrong and didn't buy, they get thrown over the fence to sales. Now, unless they're locked in automatically, sales has to follow up. The average that I'm hearing is somewhere between 6 and 11 touches just to have an effective conversation where you get through to the human being to qualify them. And 14 of those on average to get through to a first meeting and seven out of eight first meetings never result in a second meeting. Hold that thought for a second, okay? We'll come back to it. Now, sales has to do these six to 11 calls per inbound. So let's say you've got a 1,000 inbounds. That's 850 times 6 or 850 times 11, just to speak to them and try and secure one conversation. And then I've got to multiply it by 14 by 8. And that's to get to a second meeting. How many of you have three meeting closes, four meeting closes? You sell to enterprise. It's a two-year sales cycle. Yeah. Your cost of pursuit is your second highest hidden cost in your business after wrong hires. So another traditional thing we love to do is hire for previous experience, skills, and historical results, none of which are predictors of success. So now sales has to follow up on all of those leads, which means that we're going in cold with a 3% conversion rate anyway then we're adding all of these bad leads that have been qualified, marketing-qualified leads. Marketing-qualified, I mean, seriously. And then they're sales-qualified. I, I wouldn't even put what is at the bottom of most people's funnel doesn't even qualify for a 10% weighting in my forecasting system, which is why you look at the middle of the funnel of most people's uh, pipeline, and it's and bloated and constipated and stuck. Yeah. Why? Because sales is so busy trying to close people, trying to convince people, trying to force people to buy when they're not ready to. They end up driving them into stalls and into their competitor's pipeline. Do you know my favorite, my favorite source of lead is where they've been attempted to be sold to by a competitor who pushed. Love it. It's effortless. And the problem is people aren't thinking because we don't reflect. And once we've done all of that hard work and we've created these terrible, terrible relationships with customers, we throw those over the wall to customer success who now have a bunch of poor, fit customers who create a bunch of unnecessary tickets that should never have been created. And they're all churn risks. So before you know it, I mean, if you have a 15% churn rate, You have to replace 49% of your customers every three years. You've just heard the palaver that we've gone through to get there. I mean, just to get a first meeting can take up to 3,000 cold calls, dialed 15 manual dials an hour. That's a very, very, very expensive process. Yeah? So I'm all about doing something different, which is how do you do less but better on purpose with no loss of output. So the question, this is your question, and, and I'll pause for breath. If all I can do is subtract to improve, what will I stop doing, delegate, or do less of immediately?
0: And this is a question that a leader should ask themselves before even a salesperson should ask them yeah. themselves, right? And um, in
1: fact, every sales leader make a note of this book. It's called The Road Less Stupid by Keith Cunningham. Every leader should read it.
0: Sure. No, we were talking about, you know, how the leaders can make sales more effective and costless. So this from where we, we went into that, uh, the road less stupid. So, you know, what are some things that, uh, because see, when you spoke about aspects, there are certain things that are very the statistics are scary of course and I I doubt if a leader has been looking at these statistics in that way in that manner because if they did then these traditional practices wouldn't have continued but it we don't see them change they they continue to be that way you spoke about banned yes sir it doesn't help it doesn't help in understanding anything about the client it it definitely the The entire qualifying process itself is a self-serving thing, right? That I am first choosing whether you are fit to speak with me or not. And then I'm going to understand whether I can serve you, you know, whether what is it that I can serve you for. So there is there is a self-serving thing. Yet these practices are happening in the current time. So what are some things that we need to therefore the leadership should be doing and how? Because they have been pushing the team for quota and the reason why all these all these harmful practices are still being followed is only because of that because they are targeting the revenue but the target the process that they are following is happening in a very wrong way and it's leading to a lot of burnout in the among the sales people and like you said you know very dissatisfied
1: clients well it, interestingly enough that the focus is on the wrong ends of the problem they're focusing on the revenue growth, and uh, they're not focusing. Imagine a triangle, okay? And down one side, you have revenue. At the bottom, you've got strategy. And on the other side, you have relationship. Okay. Now, we know where they tend to emphasize, it's the revenue. But revenue is inputs and outputs. You have control over the inputs. And You have control over the constraints that go through the system that define what output you create, but you don't have control of the decision, only how you help your customers get there. Now, a word of warning, 2024 is where and there there is a piece of social economics by a Russian economist called Kondratiev and it's called the Kondratiev wave. And essentially with painful accuracy, it's predicted most world crises and wars and cyclical and generational change. There is a book called The Fourth Turning and another one called Pendulum that both predict this stuff. And uh, The Fourth Turning is here, is now the extension of this hypothesis. Um, And Basically, it says we're going into a historical period of unravelling and it's mirroring the 1920s and 1930s, which if you're a student of history of any type, you'll remember didn't end very well. Now, in all probability, we're headed down that path again. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but human beings have a horrible history of not learning from the past. And as a result, we repeat it. So chances are we will be at war very soon. Whether it's a land war of the Ukrainian type and World War II is yet to be seen, but certainly America, China, Russia, Korea, Iran, um, there's a lot going on and a lot of very angry bad actors. And in 2024, we have the election cycle in the UK, in the US, so obviously, the UK is only of interest to people in Britain, because we've managed to cut ourselves off from the rest of the universe. And But the American cycle does matter, because if they catch cold, everyone else uh, or sneeze, they, everyone else catches a cold. Um, and we have this boiling up in China. So there's masses of uncertainty. That means the bar, the standards of ethics will plummet. From bad to rock bottom, I mean, you will literally hear them hit bedrock and clang, which means differentiating in this market will be so simple. Just don't be a monster. Don't be self-serving. Be customer-centric. Be a decent human being. Do your planning. Do your research. Do your practice and rehearsal. Show up as if you mean it and care, actually give a damn and focus on your medium-term pipeline. My clients that have focused on their medium-term pipeline with no new product in nine years are 600% ahead of the rest of the market.
0: Just by being there for the client and, and, and keeping the client at the center.
1: But, well, but starting from the customer and working out from there, everything they do is through that lens. What is the job the customer is really trying to get done? How can I help them serve that job? What is it I can do to make them look good along the way and get them promoted? How do I help my partners sell more of what they already sell a lot of and want to sell more of? Because if I can help Prita sell five times more of her training and coaching to leadership, I bet she'll bring me
0: in on every call where she thinks I can help her do that. Isn't that what value proposition actually is? Isn't that what defines a value proposition for a client? But uh, no, but that's how a client will, will looks at it. For a client, a value proposition is how you are helping me get my job done. You'd think, but
1: if you're looking at everything through a Bant lens and quarterly earnings and making the what's it, a growth target or the valuation target, Odds are very, very, very high. I don't give a damn about you as the customer because keeping my job is my number one objective. But this is the question to any of the salespeople and managers and leaders out there. Okay. How cheap are you asking your salespeople to sell their reputation, to give away their word? Is it okay? for them to lie or pressure or coerce or omit or exaggerate to a buyer in order to try and get a deal over the line no matter what, even if it's not quite right for the customer. If the timing is wrong, just to serve your shitty valuation target,
0: all right, so let's hear a few words from our sponsor today. And uh, we have Dakota May, who is the head of growth from Sales Table. So Dakota, if we may ask you, what is a Sales Table? I hear it's a sales readiness enablement. But please tell us, what is Sales Table and who are your clients and how does it benefit your clients and how exactly... You help them achieve whatever you're promising them
2: so sales table is all about creating launching and scaling winning sales teams now we do this by delivering a high degree of sales readiness to sales organizations that are both small medium and even large in size but when we think about what is the challenge to deliver sales readiness for these sales organizations oftentimes i'm having conversations with other sales leaders that talk about things like slow ramp time, inconsistent team performance, as well as rep attrition. Now, if we think about the overall impact that these types of challenges can have, they can have a a great impact on lost revenue, and and it definitely can hinder that sales organization's ability to grow. Now, Sales Table focuses on shortening the ramp time and reducing rep churn which has a direct impact on that sales organization's ability to launch their sales team effectively, leading to the ability to close deals faster, as well as also increasing revenue. Now, when we think, how does Sales Table do this specifically? Now we deliver three major aspects that that help increase and deliver that high degree of sales readiness. The first is onboarding, which we get into delivering onboarding checklists and uh, that ultimately is designed to help you know, that new hire, that person that you've decided is the right person to bring into your organization. We walk them through what is the personality of your organization? What is your mission and what are you all about? Uh, getting them excited, fired up to be a part of this sales organization. Then that transitions to training, where we go through a very structured process a plan that creates transparency for the rep to understand exactly how are they going to execute the role that you've hired them into. So things like understanding your product and service, understanding the go-to-market strategy, getting into the sales process and how to utilize sales enablement tools that you might have and, and you want them to use effectively, as well as things like sales intelligence and objection handling, so that they understand how to deal with certain scenarios in order to be successful in that role. And then we also have the ability to test and assessments to understand how well they have consumed and understood and learned this content. And then once they've completed those assessments, they transition into actually executing and doing day-to-day activity. Sales Table also helps here by tracking their, uh, or delivering goals and tracking their activity. And this both does two things. One, it helps the sales rep understand what are those activities they should be doing on a day in and day out basis that are crucial for them to be successful? And sometimes we think as a sales leaders like myself, where you have monthly and quarterly revenue goals or outcomes such as booking meetings that you may be asking them to do. But when I have conversations with the AEs and SDRs, a lot of times they are looking for the transparency of what do they need to do day in and day out to meet those goals and meet those, those targets. And so when you have something that can bring transparency to that, it gives them a better understanding of how they can be effective every single day and then this also helps empower the sales leader with the coaching insights to really give them an idea of how can they effectively step in and help those uh, those individual contributors uh, at the right time to be most effective in their role Because we all know sales leaders time is very precious and it's hard to spend a lot of time doing a lot of the research and and doing, you know, uh, fact gathering, asking questions about what have you completed? What have you done today? You should already have that insight so that you can answer those questions, you know, in the short amount of time that you're able to give to those. So that's really what Sales Table is all about, is helping you deliver, create that onboarding, that training, and deliver on those goals that ultimately are going to deliver a high degree of sales readiness and help carry your team to become a high-performing sales organization.
0: And Dakota, if the clients want to reach out to you so and they want to access for a demo or anything, would you like to give them some idea how they can reach out to you and ask for a demo?
2: Yes, absolutely. So there's a couple of different ways. Uh, You can definitely reach out directly to me. So my email is Dakota at SalesTable.ai. You can also go directly to our website, SalesTable.ai and you can request information. You can also jump right in. Sales Table is a very simple application. Uh, It takes very little to get up and running. You can actually see value on day one. So if you wanna jump in, we have a free option. We also have the ability to do a free trial on our more advanced options. And, and that way, you can get the most out of your experience. I, I and our team will be there every step of the way, whether you are wanting to go at it on your own, or if, if you would like to kind of do a one-on-one consultation with us.
0: Thank you very much, Dakota, for this detailed understanding of what Sales Table is and what Sales Table can do for sales organizations, the sales team, and the sales leaders. So with that, let's get back to our episode. It is as harsh as it may sound, as bad as it may sound, but that is the reality. That is how the leaders have been chasing their salespeople so far. And I'm sorry that I'm probably saying, you know, I'm I'm going to offend a lot of leaders and maybe may just stand up and say that, no, 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 that's all wrong. That's not how it happens. But I've also been corporate. I have been in sales. I have had these kind of, and honestly speaking, no, it is true that they do say that the only thing it matters in every huddle, the question is what? Do you think that the leaders ask questions or the managers ask questions on how many clients have you served today? No, that is not the question. Or, you know, how many problems or what were the real problems that you could identify today? No, that those are not the questions that get asked in sales huddles. The questions are primarily how many clients or how many checks did you bring today?
1: Uh, But again, they're measuring all the wrong things. Stop measuring lagging indicators that are worthless. I mean, the stuff you need to measure is second meetings. Go into your CRM and look at the conversion from first to second. Okay. I promise you that will give you an ulcer. If I want to push you right over the edge, okay, um, look at third um, renewals. The third time a customer renews, that should be a celebration. Yeah, everyone on the team from leadership, shareholders, management, marketing, customer success, sales, operations, everybody should get a little bit of the action on that one and celebrate. The customer should too, because they got the outcome they intended. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is when the sale is complete. The transaction might be over when the money's in your account. But the sale is only over in the buyer's mind when they realize the value they intended when they rented your solution from you initially. And the buying journey, the longest part of the buying journey is where they are in passive looking and where they're in ongoing use. Those should be and are The longest part and the most advantageous part of the sales cycle, but you're spending all of your time on the wrong part of the sales cycle in the obsessive pursuit of short-term results. And it's costing you a fortune.
0: How How do they prevent it from happening? Because this requires a lot of mindset shift,
1: Marcus. What if it is? Okay, I'm willing to bet anyone in the audience It really is that easy. Okay. Ready for it? Don't focus on the problem. Do not focus on the problem. Don't even think about the problem for now. Focus on what is the outcome and then work backwards from there. And funnily enough, it'll cause you to stop doing the stupid things that cause the ripple effect. Think about it. 3% times 15% is 99.9955% failure rate thrown over the wall where there is a 97% failure rate on the ninety-nine point nine 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 five five percent failure already failed. You then throw it over the wall to CS. Just don't do any of that shit. I mean, seriously, just don't do it. All of a sudden, your salespeople have time to do research. Your managers stop making them um, control freaks, do you know 60% of sales managers today are suffering from some form of stress-related, work-induced health condition that could potentially cause them to burn out?
0: Right. It, it is happening. It is happening. That's the truth.
1: All the time, it's happening. Net result of that is you've got a bunch of people who are on burnout most of whom, roughly 50% or more, were accidental managers. You know, in the United Kingdom, 2.4 million accidental managers. They were there quietly minding their own business, scoffing their Weetabix or um, whatever, Parata, uh, who you know, whatever they were having for brekkie. And before you know it, someone tapped them on the shoulder and they said, Prita, need a word. And they think, oh God, I've been fou- I'm being fired. And they say, Prita, look, bad news. <gasps> We've had to fire your idiot boss. Oh, good news. You're now the idiot boss. Off you go, son. And before you know it, that's their runway. That's the entirety of their runway into management. Now, managers only have two lines on their job title in my world. hire the best possible people that you can and create the conditions where they can do their best work every day without friction or interruption. Yeah. There is a third line we have to add, which is protect them from acts of idiocy from above, particularly from you. Your job, get out of the way. Hire talent. Don't hire. And you miss. Because the single highest hidden cost in your business is wrong hires. Think about the amount of money you wouldn't have had to waste, the amount of time you wouldn't have to sink, the amount of bile and ulcer juice that you wouldn't have had to put into your system and inflict on your family and your spouse and your employees and your team and your bosses and all the lies you had to tell if you didn't hire the village idiot in the first place but that's on you because you look for the wrong thing because you were greedy you didn't look for the things that matter things like their what do they do every day every week without any pressure being put on them their habits and what are their abilities to adapt and learn what are the questions that they're facing already and have faced that they're likely to face again? That's useful experience. Not that they've sold SAP for 17 years into banking. Who cares? Yeah. And, and their attitudes, their beliefs, and above all, their values. If their values aren't aligned, you've got a major problem because they're then going to go out and trash your brand. And there is something called the 3 rule. Someone's happy; they'll tell three people. Someone's unhappy; they'll tell 5 who He'll tell fifty-five each.
0: I agree, uh, and and this is such a such a critical point that you have touched upon, Marcus, because. Why it's about hiring is because they're always, always asking the wrong set of questions. They're never checking people on their values. Never, ever checking people on their values. They're never checking people on how a person makes a decision when they're faced with any kind of ethical dilemma. How are they taking that call? How are they making that instant decision at that point of time or any kind of such situation? What are their ways of coming out of that situation or the problem solving thought process? those kind of questions are never asked and i think the biggest problem that happens and why this kind of a you know downward spiraling happens in sales is because they end up promoting from the team within a person who has been a probably a good performer a sales performer so i have been very good with my clients and i've been closing a lot of revenues irrespective of how i did my process whether i served the client and clocked my revenues or I just somehow, you know, that always be closing. Somehow I just managed to close a client and got my revenues. But then you have, you will not evaluate me or assess me on any of my leadership skills or managerial skills on how I am with the team or whatnot. I'm just promoted.
1: Very, very simply, the contrast is really important. As a salesperson, you are an individual contributor. It is a selfish role. The way it's been typecast. I, I disagree with that, but the way the way most organizations run it, you're an individual contributor and you are heavily rewarded while the people who contribute to your success, like marketing, like customer success, like your management, your managers, generally aren't that well rewarded when, when you close. It's, it's, it's a team effort by and large, especially enterprise and complex sales. And um, yeah, it doesn't happen just because of your brilliance and you showed up and magically people bought. There's a whole machine behind you. And the arrogance that uh, it causes uh, individual contributors, especially the top performers to fall, or the above average performers, the top performers are normally top performers because they've learned humility. They've learned vulnerability. They've learned patience uh, and the, the assessment that I've created differentiates. I mean, we literally have a top 4% layer. It's bloody hard for someone to actually qualify for that because to do that, it's a combination of habits and behaviors and attitudes and values and the sequencing of how this stuff is done, the choreography of it. And um, Now, w- what's really exciting is when when you can see how a salesperson works under the skin, you can see whether they're biocentric or they're selfish. Um, You can see whether they are willing to bend the rules just a little or a lot. Um, Because I think that we should operate with radical transparency, radical honesty. I mean, there is no room for equivocation. A lie is a lie, an omission is a lie. If it is material to your decision, I have a duty, a responsibility to raise the concern with you Knowing you may say no to me and buy from my competitor, and in fact, I'll go one step further. And if I believe the competitor is right for you, I will hand deliver you to them. Now, what's interesting is when we do this, we make sales, but not only that, we get referred, and those customer, the customer lifetime value is enormous. So, you know, two little tips when it comes to recruitment. Okay, the question you have to ask is this, Peter, when is it okay to lie to a prospect and then shut up? And the answer itself doesn't matter. It's the speed of response, the type of hesitation, the sound that comes out of their mouth first. Is it or are they assertive? And then what do they say and how do they package it? Because even if they think it's okay, is that because they had been badly taught or is that intrinsic in their value system? Okay, so what I don't want to do is make a false positive hire. I'm hiring James Bond, but I end up with Mr. Bean. Yeah, What, what, what I really want is James Bond without the psychotics. Yeah, and I need to find a way of extracting from my candidate the truth. And so I'm looking for that reaction. Then what I'm looking for is maybe raise an ethical dilemma. And then I'll ask for another and then another, because I'm looking for a habit. So three in quick succession indicates there is a pattern. Once it's a coincidence, twice, there's a pattern forming. Three, yeah, okay, maybe they're doing it. Repeatedly and intentionally. Okay, now then, what I want to do is I'll take the story that they seem to be proudest of and ask them to run it backwards. Prita, would you mind telling me that story? But just tell me it backwards again. So from when the customer got the outcome and they told you that they said they got the result, all the way through to where you made that initial point of contact, and it creates dissonance for people who didn't really do it because the 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 stuff they made up and they glossed over. They have to go all the way to the beginning and then back to the end and beginning and end. And it's staccato. Yeah, it's such a simple thing. But I don't want to make a bad hire. So now I can dig deeper. And then I can ask the question again, when is it okay to lie to a prospect? (laughs) Yeah, because if they've just lied to me and you'll see the swelling, the erectile tissue in the nose will swell. They'll go a little bit red. Yeah, you'll see the shift in behavior. You're looking for all of this stuff because as salespeople, We want to be so well-practiced. That stuff is feeding into us. But the problem with most training, and this is where most methodologies go wrong, is they teach you technique. They don't teach you how to ask and listen in a way that is natural and then creates your own selling system. That's how the top sellers really show up. Yeah, they've been trained in some of these methodologies. But actually, what they're really good at is aligning with the buyer. They meet them on their buying journey at their moments of peril, their struggling moments. They time they meet when they touch, coincide to be the most valuable they possibly can be.
0: The problem, if you have noticed this, is that the sales managers, this is, you know, for hiring In order to to go deep, one, you need to understand that this hiring, this is is your entire journey for whatever you want to grow as a revenue profits, whatever you're planning to grow, it starts from the right hire. So which basically means that interview room where you are sitting with the candidate, it's a very important role of yours. You need to invest your time in asking the right kind of questions in figuring out who they are, they're in so much of a hurry. They don't invest that kind of a time. They are like very fast, one or two or three questions. Where have you worked? Why have you left this organization? What have you done then? How many clients did you have? And how? what was your sales process? So cut to cut, you know, very transactional bit of questions. They don't invest that time in actually asking the kind of questions that you just mentioned. If they really do even some part of it, they would end up having the right hires in their team then then they'll have a very stress free life you
1: you've, you've touched on the um the rosetta stone here your middle management layer is the catalyst that unlocks everything one of the companies i've been cro for um did a project with a billion dollar software company and we put 32 of their managers through this program initially and in six months on a $30,000 investment, the managers reported back 17 and a half million in attributable revenue. Right. So that's a 426 X return on investment in six months. Okay. So in terms of payback time, blink of an eye and it's ongoing because what happens is this. If you can move your managers en mass. And the sweet spot for this particular solution is companies with managers of over 4,000 headcount. Okay, so more than 4,000 managers plus civil service, healthcare, large industrial um, banks, all that kind of stuff. Now, what's interesting is over about a 12-week period, what you get is this change wave of behavior as managers move from command and control as their management style, to one of operational coaching. Now, operational coaching means that you coach on the job, in the moment, at the point of need. And it's a 30-second conversation. It's a two-minute conversation that results in the person you are coaching taking ownership and then taking action and being held to account. But holding themselves to account which means that you drive up discretionary effort and engagement through the roof. Now, the S and P study of uh, sorry the S five hundred between twenty ten and twenty sixteen showed that companies with highly engaged staff made five hundred percent higher profits per employee, one hundred and twenty percent higher revenue per employee, forty percent higher. I'm um, sorry, um, uh, lower absenteeism, turnover, and sickness, and conflict. And uh, what was the other one? Oh, yeah, 316% higher annual compound share price growth. Now, if we're trying to claim that we're about shareholder value, maybe we understand that shareholder value is a symptom of customer value being realized getting the job done for the customer, facilitating that. That's the job of salespeople, not to sell, not to close, not to convince.
0: I think that's that's probably the right place where we can, we can actually end this podcast because that is what the job of a salesperson is. Eventually, that is what... Every salesperson needs to understand about their job. That is what every sales leader needs to understand about their role in the entire sales function. As you rightly mentioned, they're chasing the wrong, I think, uh, metrics. It's a very wrong metrics that people are chasing and trying to monitor it and then trying to control that, and which eventually is leading to the entire function facing a burnout and uh, such such kind of churning happening. The absentisms are high. Engagement, as you rightly pointed out the statistics, engagement is not only when you are taking them out on picnics or, you know, taking them out on some outbound or some, um, some off sites and having them fun once in a while. That's not how engagement happens.
1: Engagement is, I want to come to work on Sunday night because I'm that excited. And on Friday, oh, no. And then I go home, and I've got a full life, and I'm working. Do, do you know that, that? And this is your challenge, okay. This is the way to end it, okay. I challenge the leaders and the managers out there to work out how do I create the conditions so my salespeople can hit our stretch goal in the eight
0: hours that they are contracted and no more. That's good. That's amazing. I think, uh, and and sales managers, I think if you have the Courage, I'm not going to use the other word. If you have that, if you have a courage, take it up. Take up this challenge. If you have really been thinking that uh, you are the leader that a salesperson has never got before or somebody who's never experienced or you are having the ambition of uh, leaving a legacy, take this up as a challenge. Because it, it was amazing speaking with you. And I think these were some very hard-hitting facts that you have presented in front of these managers and, and the salespeople equally. And all those who are listening to it, if they introspect, they reflect on these questions and the statements that you made, the advices that you gave. I think from a heart, everyone is, is an honest person. They like honesty. They like to be ethical. They like to have a personal integrity. It is just that sometimes they give up. Some people have that control. Some people do not have that control. But if you ask them, most of the people would say, yes, I absolutely believe and I absolutely agree with all these points that have been made that
1: I, I learned something last week, which was very powerful. Which is, who are the people, or what are the things that you envy? So, in, in terms of what you want, so who are the people that you envy because of their reputation? Okay, what is it you have to do to become like
0: them? Yeah, but that, that's that's what inspiration is, and that is that is how you get inspired by people. Unfortunately, people take envy a little more deep more negatively and they then move envy to jealousy and then feeling insecure and it then goes then you're only going down
1: you're never going to get me off this podcast if you go down that road because that's three hours without okay. breath
0: <laughs> then i think we'll have a part two of this podcast and we are going to talk about this human side of people
1: it's called the drama triangle and um, and I have the antidote. Great.
0: Awesome. So then we'll we'll catch up again for a part two with Marcus. Thank you very much Marcus for your time. And that's a wrap on today's episode of Sellers Lounge. A huge thank you to our guests and of course all of you sales champions out there who tuned into this episode. If you found value in today's conversation, make sure to follow the podcast and share it with your sales buddies. Please also leave a review, sharing what you like about this podcast. And if you want to take your sales game to the next level, head to my website, thesuccessvitamin.com to get loads of exclusive content and courses. This is your host Pritha Dubey signing off with a reminder that if you are not selling, you are not winning. See you next week.